this soup. Someone, let's, let me just set that right there. Let's see. Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're a um, visitor this morning, we welcome you to the Driven Church. And uh, my prayer is that you are encouraged today. I, I pray that the Lord would speak uh, through His Word into your heart and that you would leave this morning having had an experience with God that is life-altering. That's, that's really my objective, that, that you would leave changed, not by what I say, but by who you experience and the truth of his word and, and through the power of his spirit that that's really my, my desire but we are doing the study in the book of exodus and we are in chapter 22 and uh, so before we even get to that i want to read you just a piece of scripture and i want you to understand by reading this scripture what it is that we're trying to accomplish when we work through difficult passages okay and the scripture is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is a very familiar scripture, and it's very applicable to, to uh, what we're studying now and what we will be studying. This is what the scripture says. Now I want you to get this. All scripture, not some scripture, all scripture is God-breathed or inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, in righteousness, all scripture, so that the servant of God, who is the servant of God? We, yeah, all of us, yeah, not me, not just you, all of us. Listen, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly, completely, fully equipped for every good work. So when we find ourselves in some pretty difficult scripture, and we're like, hey man, what, what's this about? And how's it going to affect me? What you and I have got to do in studying this scripture and sharing this scripture is understand that somewhere in this inspired portion, there is something there available to you to equip you, servant of God, for every good work. Our job is sometimes to dig around in that stuff, man. You know what I'm talking about? Get out the old spiritual shovel, Jack, and start to put in some labor. Start to dig, man, and to find out what's in there to my benefit. Extract it. Consume it. And let it nurture and nourish us, even in the difficult stuff, okay? And that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in some difficult stuff. But... And here, let, let me just kind of give you a, a touch of where we're going because just kind of throw you off the rails. The very first verse is, whoever steals an ox. Okay, that's where we're starting, right? You say, okay, dig in that. Well, we're going to dig in that. And there's a lot more in this than you think there is. But <clears throat> having said that, I want to preface everything I'm about to say by an experience that I had this week or that Clark had this week, and it kind of introduced Clark into the uh, uh, adult living status, okay? We were, uh, we were uh, or he was going through a, a restaurant, and, uh, uh, one of those five-star restaurants, really expensive, I think they call it Taco Bell. And he had given them his uh, debit card, and, and they ran it through, they come back, and Brooke, they said, uh, your card's been declined. 
Welcome to being poor, Clark. Right, right. And, and so I, I'm assuming they probably tried it again. It was declined. And apparently it was declined at a couple of different places. And so I began to talk to Clark about it. He said, Dad, i got something going on with my debit card. I don't know if I've, if I've damaged it. It's, it's declined. I haven't got any notifications whatnot from the bank. I said, well, have you checked your email? He was like, well, no. I, have, I said, okay. I said, we'll go down to the bank Saturday and we'll, we'll, we'll see what's going on. Or Friday. So we go down to the bank Friday. He goes in there. I'll stay out. Wait, I'm waiting for him. He comes back and he said, well, Dad, you're right. I said, I was right. He said, yeah, my card had been compromised. Uh, someone in Illinois, someone here or someone there uh, had, been, had been enjoying the fruits of my labor, right? And I said, well, you know, that, that's part of life. Now, many of you have experienced some form of uh, identity theft, maybe, a compromised debit card. Any, how many people in there have experienced that? Okay, so, okay, some of you guys have actually experienced, and I know this to be the case because it's been shared with me, some of you guys, more than one, have experienced people actually literally stealing your card, stealing your card, and then going out and making mad purchases on those. Some of you have experienced that. What I know uh, to be the case through studies this week, just preparing for this message today, they said basically last year about 1.6 million people had experienced some form of identity theft, fraud, uh, of personal information had been compromised. They said basically it had cost the, the consumers or the banks around $6.1 billion, with a B, billion dollars last year alone. Now, you and I receive every single day. You know this to be true. And if you don't have this experience, then, you know, God has blessed you in a way that few of us, uh, of us have been blessed. But every one of us get the emails, right? There's some uh, princess in Egypt that's wanting you to send her $500 or a prince, and, and, and he'll send you a million dollars the following week. We all get that stuff. We all get the text, right? We all get the phone solicitations, well, you, and, you, and you talk to them for about 15 seconds, and you understand there's a fraudulent intent. In the phone conversation, you know this is happening. And, and, and what has happened is because we live in this climate, and, uh, uh, and if you've ever fallen victim to this, there's a trust factor that's been violated. And if you've ever been stolen from on any level, if your person has been compromised in, on any level, you, you, you feel when you're the victim, you feel a violation that's very, very strange. I remember being in Colorado Springs at a Bible college out there, and I left a book, a, a box of books, my favorite blanket, a Bible commentaries, my Bible, a bunch of stuff in my car, and some idiot broke into my car and uh, took all that stuff. Now, I would have loved to have been there when he opened up all those boxes and pulled out the Bible commentary. Right? I mean, that would have, I would have loved, man, if I could have been a fly on the wall right there. But he also t stole my radio, so, he, you know, he, and the radio wasn't that good, but hey, man, more power to you. But, but I remember going out there the next morning to get my stuff, and I'm like, what? And Tim, I'm telling you, man, th this, this weird sense of violation had taken, I, I, was, I, I was experiencing it. it had, this thing that had taken place, it had left me feeling extremely vulnerable. And from that point on, man, my car was double locked. You know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, I, I was, it was always in the back of my mind. And what ends up happening whenever we experience things like this, whenever trust is fragmented, all of a sudden relationships then begin to become fragmented. Because you can't have relationships when trust is broken, right? This goes across the board. I mean, if, between brothers, between sisters, between friends, if there isn't trust, the relationship isn't healthy. Period. Period. And ultimately, what I know to be true is that there are times in our lives when one violator of our trust, instead of it breaking that relationship, it then stains us to some degree that that broken trust bleeds over into other relationships. You know what I mean? You know, you know the, the young lady who has the boyfriend who cheated on her, her next boyfriend, she doubts. And he may be honest Dave. The, the boyfriend who has the girlfriend who cheats on him, his next girlfriend, he doubts. And you, you understand how this works, right? Your friend who lies to you, all of a sudden you find out they have lied to you. They have taken, they have, ta they have, they have stolen from your essence, if you will, because you had, you had given them trust. Then all of a sudden every relationship around you, you start looking at them with that squinty eye, shady eye. You know what I'm talking about, that stink eye. You're looking at them jaded with the expectation of another violation coming, right? This is all about trust. It's all built on trust. And this type of activity that I just described that Clark had experienced, that many of us have experienced, creates a trust vacuum that, that destabilizes our lives and destabilizes communities and destabilizes nations. As a matter of fact, we are a nation that, that is probably the least trusting nation in the world. I mean, you'll go up to a person that you know and who's a vendor, and they'll say, hey, can I have your debit? I mean, you're like, uh, debit card, and you're like, what for? And you're like, well, I'm your mom, and I'm working here, and you can trust me, right? I mean, you're, you're doubting everybody. I mean, the moment you get a, you get a call from, from, the, from the bank, and, uh, uh, and they tell you this, that, or another, and they need some form of, uh, of, 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 of identity uh, to prove who you are, and whatnot. And you're like, how do I know this is the bank? Who am I speaking to? Where? And then you start asking, where do I live? Where do, uh, what is, what is, and then you start asking for information from them about yourself. You know what I'm talking There's just this vacuum of trust uh, when we've been violated like this. Well, what's happening in Exodus chapter 22 is God is establishing a nation and he has put perimeters in place because what God knows is if this type of situation begins to germinate amongst his people, then it isn't about property. It isn't, it isn't about the, 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 the uh, a victim or the perpetrator. It's about the relational dynamic that God has created for his people. If that is compromised, then there's no way there can be a healthy nation of God's people moving forward. So what we're about to read here isn't just about property. It's about redeeming relationships. And so as we work our way through this, you're going to see this. It becomes extremely clear. Okay? Now we're going to work through a few verses, and we're going to read several verses, and then we're going to close sometime this afternoon. Okay? All right. All right, so let's, let's pray. We'll, we'll, we'll pray a, a short prayer, and we'll preach a long sermon. Or we can pray a long prayer, preach a short sermon. It's going to sound similar either way. Okay? 
Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I need to hear what you're saying through your word that I might share it with them, that we all uh, may dig up uh, the, the asset that's been placed in your word and apply it to our lives. We need your help. These people need you to help me to communicate the thoughts in my mind and my heart that I've found in your word to, to their benefit. So, Lord, I do not want to be a barrier this morning. Oh, God. But I, I want to be a vessel, a vessel used by you to share your word. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Okay. Okay, let, let's get to this. Let's get to this. Whoever steals, verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 1, okay? Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Now, there's something I want to explain to you right off the bat, and we're going to try to get through this relatively quick. There's something in the scripture, something in theology called the, the law of recompense. And basically, the law of recompense suggests this. Whenever there's a violation of thievery, whenever someone breaks in and, and takes something that doesn't belong to them, the law of recompense would, would require an individual to pay back double what they have taken. Now, I want that to sink into your mind. Double what they have taken, the law of recompense. All right. Now, when we read this scripture immediately, because everything that follows after this sounds like the law of recompense, the double payback. But this first verse sounds like there's something that's kind of out of kilter, right? Because there's, there's more than a double payment. But I want you to understand this as we move forward, because it's going to establish consistency, continuity through these verses, okay? A little too much coffee this morning. Bear with me. All right? It says, whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it. Now, understand right there, this is the first time in the Scripture, in this portion of the Scripture, that the intent of the perpetrator is revealed. He did this to slaughter the animal or to sell it. He's literally looking for a, a gain in, in some way, shape, or form from another person's loss. Right? Now, uh, he could have slaughtered the animal uh, for food. He could have slaughtered the animal to, to uh, sacrifice to an idol. He could have slaughtered the animal. He could have stolen to sacrifice the animal to God and then justify the, the, uh, the, the ends or the means by the end, right? Or the end by the means, right? Now, there's something to be applied right there, right? The idea of stealing something from someone else as a load to commit that to God. Well, whatever reason they, they steal this cattle, and the intentions are uh, to slaughter it or to sell it, right? <clears throat> the bit to benefit off the loss of another person. And he says, this person must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Listen, this is still the law of recompense, and I want you to get this. This is still a double payment. This isn't an over-exaggerated where God is uh, administering a punishment that exceeds the crime. That's not what it is. And when you read it in the Hebrew, you completely understand that. Listen to this. Listen to this. When it says five head of cattle, bakar is the Hebrew word uh, for cattle. And uh, shore is for the ox. And basically what they're saying here, this is really something right here. The ox would be the equivalent in that time, of a tractor to a farmer today. You know what I'm talking about? Now, I want you to understand what God's doing here. God is basically saying in this moment, all right, Bakar is the head of cattle, Shore is the ox. Five Bakar was worth 
was worth what? Double the shore. So you understand what's happening. It is still a double payment, a double, a, a double installment. All right? The, the idea, now I want you to understand the grace in this. Not everyone had an ox. God was saying, if someone violated, not everyone, not every farmer's got a tractor. Not this kind of tractor. Hadn't put in this type of training to train this, this ox to break up the ground. God puts in a response so that the perpetrator of this crime could have the means to restore the value to the owner. He may not have an ox, but he's got something that is equivalent of value of, 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 of worth that he could get his hands on to restore or to repay. Now, what if God said, you've got to give an ox for an ox, and the perpetrator's like, man, there ain't but five oxes here in the whole nation. That's beyond my reach to be able to restore that. And God says, in this case, you would then exchange or return double the value of what you have destroyed. Are you with me? Now check this out. When it says sheep for sheep, I'm going to shock you here, it's not the same two words in the Hebrew. Every once in a while, man, open up your scripture, you find some of this stuff that seems like there's a wrestling in it, man, go, go, to, a, go, you know, a, go to a concordance or a study and find out which words are being used here because it'll open up your understanding. I want you to understand what these two words for sheep are because this, this sounds disproportionate, Right? It says, for sheep, for a sheep. Well, that don't sound right. Listen to this. When it says for sheep, it is the, it is the Hebrew word tason. T-S-O-N-E is the, uh, how you would pr the phonetic pronunciation of that. Tason. And it means five or small goats. So you're giving four small goats for the sheep. Right? Now, that's still four to one, right? Do you know what the... Hebrew word for sheep is in the second application. It is the Hebrew word say. We're giving four sheep for say. You know, you know how much say is? Take a guess. Because you're paying back double, right? The word say right here literally means sheep and another or sheep and one. Do you, do you get that? God is consistently, even in this scripture, already establishing this ain't overkill because I'm wanting to destroy the violator. I'm wanting to restore, listen, I'm wanting to restore the lost item and restore the lost son. Listen, uh, in, uh, let's see, in... Seven, was it 2000, 2017, some of you may know this lady. Uh, she was killed, I believe, driving two score. Her name was uh, Suzanne Dennis. How many of y'all remember Suzanne Dennis? You remember her, Suzanne Dennis, school teacher. Now, when this news broke to me, and I, and I found this out, I, it didn't strike me initially until I began to do a little research. Because I didn't know Suzanne Dennis, the school teacher of 27 years at Hard in Hardin County. But I did know a Miss Dennis, a school teacher in her first year as a substitute in Hodgenville when I was in the third grade. 
And I remember my, my third grade teacher's name was uh, Miss Buchanan. And uh, at the time, I thought that she was leaving because she was having a child. Uh, a couple of years ago, I ran into her husband, and we were talking about this account, this story. And he said, well, actually, what happened was she could never have children. But she did leave that year for a child. But it was because we had adopted. And I thought, oh, okay. I remember even as a little eight-year-old boy this happening and her leaving. I remember this. And I uh, uh, was in the third grade. Mr. Buchanan had to check out for the adoption. And this beautiful lady comes into our class one day with long reddish-brown hair. And her name was Miss Dennis. And she just, and she, she was a tall woman. She seemed, as a little boy, she seemed so tall and so thin. She was just, and, and she just glowed. And I don't know if it was because she just had a really light complexion, but to me as a kid, I, it may have had to do with the countenance, the smile on her face. Everything about Miss Dennis was different. What I didn't know then that I later come to find out was Miss Dennis was the pastor's wife at a church and uh, uh, had a powerful uh, evangelical thrust in her heart to share the gospel. She was a lover of Jesus. Well, I didn't know this as a third grader. I didn't know much of anything as a third grader. But there's one thing I did know. One thing I did know was that if you had something I wanted and it was close enough to me to get, I had sticky fingers and I could slide and I could snatch that thing. There was a cat in my class in the third grade by the name of Russell Mays. And one day Russell Mays, he came into class one day and Miss Dennis is there and Russell Mays is sitting beside me and Russell Mays pulls up this toy. Throw it up here, Clark. Throw it up here. Clark's back there asleep. I didn't put him asleep. Throw it. There it is. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now when I saw Russell Mays with Obi-Wan Kenobi, you see the lightsaber extended out of his arm. The lightsaber had been retracted. I didn't know that he was a, a, a Jedi. I would have done it had I known it. Well, I would have anyway. But uh, he had the Obi-Wan Kenobi there. And it was at the bottom of his desk. Remember those old wooden desks, metal desks? You had the little compartment where you kept your books, you know? Well, he had his Obi-Wan stash down there. He was sitting right beside me. I was basically a herdman kid like we had talked about in the, in the play. I was the herdman. And so when no one was looking, man, I, I, took, on, I took on the form of the dark side. I, I was like the, 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 the emperor or dark side. And I reached down and I snatched up Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I just slid him right in my pocket. I had captured Obi-Wan, and I was taking him back to whoever needed to see Obi. And I remember taking him home, and I thought, man, I got Obi. I pulled Obi-Wan Kenobi out, and he had that little lightsaber in there. And I pushed it out, and half of it was gone. I was like, well, he'd, he'd been fighting them Sith Lords. And half of his. And so being an ig ignorant kid, you know, uh, an, an unstudied herdman, uh, I actually took Obi-Wan back to school with me the next day, sitting right beside Russell. And I was so arrogant that I pulled my Obi-Wan Kenobi out. And Russell said to me, he said, someone stole my Obi-Wan. I said, they did. I said, well, they didn't steal mine. <laughs> and, and Russell said, well, my Obi-Wan Kenobi's half of the lifesaver was broken off. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I pushed mine out and I said, so's mine. Right? Well, word got back to Miss Dennis. I knew what was going down. I felt the pressure. I felt like Frodo Baggins in the great eye of Sauron on me. Man, when that was, when that was said, and Miss Dennis uh, approached the class, and Miss Dennis said, uh, whoever took Russell's Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you'll place it on my desk at the end of the day, everything will be fine. 
And in my mind, the gears begin to turn. I begin to think, well, what, you know, I might be able to work my way out of this. And I begin to watch that clock as the day began to go and the day began to go. And, and I knew, man, I, I felt like a long-tailed tail, a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chair. I felt the pressure, Jerry. I felt it. I mean, it was building up, man. I could feel it. And at the end of the day, I had Obi-Wan in one hand, my conscience, Jiminy Cricket on one shoulder. I mean, I, had, I, was, I was vexed. And every kid in that class began to pour out of that room. And I was the last kid in that class. And as I walked through there to go out that door, I took that Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I released him. Set it on the desk and I left. Whole day I had wrestled with the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment of stealing Obi-Wan. And I had left and Relieved, the weight was off me as an eight-year-old kid. And then I go home, and the next day, I come back into school. Russell has his Obi-Wan Kenobi. Shocker, right? And, and the day goes on, and class is dismissed. Miss Dennis says to little Trent Evans Herdman, Trent, could you stay after class for a moment? Oh, man, and I felt it. I felt it tense up. I, I knew what was coming. A trip to the, to the principal's office. I knew what was happening. And all the kids left, and I walked up here to her desk, and I was nervous, eyes squinting. Palpitations, sweaty palms. She reaches down beside her desk, and she pulls up a brown paper bag from Ben Franklin. Now, I just dated myself, right? All right, but I'm only eight. She pulls up this brown paper bag from Ben Franklin, and she hands it to me. And I open up that brown paper bag, and there's a brand new Obi-Wan Kenobi. Better than the one I had taken. And she just looked at me and she just smiled. And from that day forward, it seemed like every day I came in, Miss Dennis had something for me. This throwaway kid who had nothing to offer, she seemed to have something for me. And later as an adult, John, I began to realize what her intentions were as a follower of Jesus. Her intentions wasn't simply to restore Obi-Wan Kenobi to the rightful owner, that being Russell Mays. Her intent was to restore that, but to restore this eight-year-old kid who was carrying guilt and shame, and she had made a provision, a way of redemption and restoration for an eight-year-old kid that he could not make for himself. When we read the law, and we read the idea, the idea of recompense, it's because God has established a way back. And God has established in Jesus a way back for you who's far from God.
Let's, let's read for it, and we'll, this is going to go pretty quick, I promise. He says, if a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. You know what this is? This is a stand your ground law. How many of you own a gun in here? I'm not going to ask how many of you are packing. We'd clear out this church right now. All right. How many of you have taken uh, carry concealed classes? As a matter of fact, we used to give carry concealed classes here at the church. Condemn me if you will. It's all right. We did it. All right. All right. You understand the stand your ground law. This is a stand your ground law. God was saying if a man breaks into your home at night, you have the right to defend yourself, even to the extent of bloodshed. Now I want you to see the mercy, though. Check this out. And this is actually applicable even today. Check this out. But if it happens after sunrise, the, defi- the defender, is, is, uh, the defender that being the homeowner, is guilty of bloodshed if that happens. You know what he's saying about You know what that scripture is saying right there? If you can see that all they're doing is stealing something, that perpetrator's life is still worth more than the property. Do you understand God's assessment of value? Did you know even in the stand your ground law, if someone breaks into your house, they grab your TV and they're running through your yard with your TV, you don't have the right to kill them. You know that. You can't do that. Because even the law today says that TV is not worth his life. The TV can be redeemed. God is basically establishing right here, there is a violation. The man will have to make restitution. The man will have to pay it back. But the man's life is greater than the value of the property. And if you can see him and the light is on and he can see you, you've got the option of taking him to the judges that represent me and restitution being made. Do not take his life over that property. Do you see the mercy in that? Do you see where God is even protecting and redeeming the thief? And you ought to be saying, hallelujah, that God has in his heart the intent to redeem the perpetrators of wrongdoing. Because guess who that includes? Student number one right there. Answer twice. Us. Every one of us. Let's read this. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution. Right? Listen. But if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. Sound tough? That's not really tough. What is he doing? There's a mechanism in play by which he can ascertain the resources to restore. Even if it cost him his freedom. It didn't cost him his life. That's mercy. Hold on. If the stolen animal is, or, yeah, yeah, they must be sold to pay for their theft. Verse 4. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox, ox, or donkey, or sheep, they must pay back double. This is the law of recompense I was referring to. They must pay back double. Now, here, I, w- I want you to understand this. You realize it's not really double, right? When you read the scripture, it's not really double. Go back and read the verse before that. What does it say here? If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. It's not really double. You know what they're doing? They pay back what they had stolen. Plus one. Why the plus one? Because in the law, God's designed to restore relationships 
It is necessary that the perpetrator understand the extent of the loss of the victim. And if they lose equal amount, not just what they had taken, that's got to be given back, and then lose what they had taken, then they can understand having experienced the same amount of loss as the, perp as the victim, they then can have what? You and I would call empathy. Being able to relate and understand the significance of their violation. Do you not see this? It's very obvious. And listen, you and I as followers of Jesus, on this path of redemption and restitution and reconciliation, man, if you in your spirit do not possess a spirit of empathy to be able to identify and to hurt and to suffer with other people, you're in a dangerous spot. We should all possess that. I told Clark as a little boy when he first started school, I said to Clark, Clark, when you get to school, you are as secure as you are. We have given you, provided for you everything. When you get to school and you see a kid sitting by himself, you see a kid who's been isolated, you sit with that kid. You encourage that kid. You have empathy for that kid. You try to understand what that kid's going through. And God is establishing this, this with this law of recompense that they would understand, feel, feel, experience what they had inflicted on another person, John. You know what I'm talking about, brother? You with me? Okay, okay. I didn't about rip my, my mic off here. I'm sorry. When we hear this concept, a payback, of restitution. All the more shocking we find the story of Zacchaeus, right? Remember the little cat climbed in the tree, Jewish tax man, remember that? Remember Jesus comes by, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, he says, hey, hey, Zacchaeus, shuffle on down here, Jack, I'm going to your house today. That's not how the song goes, but it's close, paraphrased, right? And Zacchaeus says what? He had had an experience with Jesus that was so significant he says this, I'll give half of what I've got, Daniel, to the poor. These aren't people that he had cheated. These are the poor. And then what does he say? He said, my transformation, the grace that I've experienced, those that I've cheated, I'll make recompense, double pay. No, no, no. He said, those I've cheated, I'll give four times back. I'll double down on the recompense. Grace takes us further than the law would ever take us. And that's what's happening with Zacchaeus. He he's not Jew. He understands the law. He understands the payment. And he says, no, no, what Jesus has done in and through me, it's, I'm doing more. I'll give four times back. That's powerful. That's powerful. But that's what the law aimed to do. Do you think Zacchaeus had empathy? that had been planted in his heart by the experience he had with Jesus? I dare to think he did, right? Okay, I'm going to read and we're finished, okay? Let's read this. All right, we're going to read these verses here. They're somewhat self-explanatory, but I want you to catch something. As we read this, I want you to listen. Listen for the term... Make double payment or make restitution. 
They're one and the same, synonymous with one another, but there's a significance to the word restitution. We'll get to that at the end of these verses. We're going to read it. We're going to close. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and, let, and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. That's reasonable, isn't it? That's so reasonable, right? If a fire breaks out and spreads into the thorn bushes, now listen, I've set a few field fires, ain't I, Larry? Yeah, y'all know the story. Don't, and listen, there ain't no shame in my game. I'll burn your field down. I've done it. Hey, I've done it. I've done it. Nearly had to rescue a whole daycare full of kids. Okay, okay, Trent, get back online. We only got so much. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If anyone gives a neighbor silver or gold for safekeeping and, may, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any lost property about which someone says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to the other. Now some translations will render that word judges as God. Or the Lord. It's actually, in the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim, right? If you've studied that. The word that is used for judges is Elohim, which is a name used for God. But it's in a plural sense. So it's not saying that there's multiple gods. It's saying there's multiple representations of gods in these judges. Are you with me? Just explaining, okay? Okay, I don't want anybody going home and saying, oh, no, no. Trent's into this crazy theology. I don't, all right? If anyone gives a donkey, an ox, or a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping, hey, if I loan you my tools, you better read the scripture. Yeah. Because I, I will be coming over quoting it. Maybe not. To the neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled. Listen to this. Listen to this. You know how it's going to be settled? By the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this. And no restitution is required. You know what he's basically saying? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And my fear of God is so great, the fear of God is so great between the offender and the victim that if either man were to swear to God in such a manner as that, they know neither man would lie. And at that moment, the victim is to look at the perpetrator, perceived perpetrator, and to say, I take your word on it in the company of God. And the scripture says no restitution is then needed. You know, we used to do that, right? You'd go in a, you, know, you don't do it anymore. Now you just go and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but truth. You don't put your hand on anything. You might raise your right hand, whatever else. Back in the day, it used to be you go into a courtroom. You know what I'm talking about? You saw Perry Mason. You know what I'm talking about? You saw 12 angry men. You slap your hand on the Bible, left hand always, it's closest to your heart. That's the reason your wedding bed. Okay, never mind. Okay. Uh, closest to your heart, you raise your right hand. I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. What? Hmm. We live in a nation now where the fear of God is absent, that no longer carries any weight because we do not regard and revere God whatsoever. I mean, we got cats at the top of the totem pole in the political arena who will go into a courtroom and they'll say stuff like, I, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, 
Maybe. Fifth Amendment. Right? Right? But what he was saying was these cats come together and before God take an oath and whatever is said under oath, man, that is truth. But that's born out of reverence for God. Okay, let's, let's move on. Remember, restitution. It says this. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, restitution must be made to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the neighbor shall bring in the remains as evidence that shall not be required to pay for the torn animal. Closing, right here. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. That sounds so reasonable, doesn't it? Five different times in that scripture, the term restitution is said. In that whole, the portion that we've read this morning, restitution. Do you know what the word restitution in the Hebrew means? Now you've got to get this. It is born out of the Hebrew word that you and I hear frequently, shalom. You know the word shalom meaning what? Peace. Right? Peace. The word for restitution isn't shalom. But it is shalom. And you know what shalom means? Which is a derivative from the same word. It means this. To make peace or to cause to be at peace. What was God saying? He was saying to the violator and to the victim. I don't want you living broken relationships. You're my children. Whatever it takes, restitution, shalom, make peace. Be at peace. Pay whatever price is necessary because you're my children and you're the vessel which I will use to reach the world. You must be at peace with one another. What is the application, Trent? Are you willing to pay the price to make peace with other people? Are you willing to bury your pride? Are you willing to set some things aside? Are you willing to admit some wrong? Or do you want to continue to live your life out the remainder of your days, man, jaded towards your neighbor, jaded towards your brother, jaded towards your sister over some trivial nonsense that could have been, pardon me, resolved 30 years ago? And you've been carrying it around it festering in your spirit and in your heart, in your soul, man. God is in the, when you read this, God is in the business of redeeming, not just a problem, but redeeming the thieves. Listen, that's no, that's no more, uh, uh, nowhere more obvious than in Luke chapter 23, right? Jesus on the cross. We find Jesus, his disciples practically had abandoned him. All of his followers had deserted him. And there he stands with just a few hanging on the cross. And next to him is a thief who has no means to make the payment of recompense. He has no, pain, no means for the double payment. And he looks at Jesus. And these are the words that he speaks to Jesus, right? Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, in his dying minutes, hours, breaths, spends them 
redeeming a thief. And you think that's not at the heart of God to redeem his children? Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. In that moment, Jesus makes the payment of recompense. He makes the double payment. You see, he took what he didn't deserve and also took what we do deserve. It is the double payment that Jesus is making to redeem you and me back to him, back to one another, To make peace, the Prince of Peace pays the price, right? Isaiah said it so eloquently as he prophesied about this very scene. Isaiah 53, 5, he says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, Right? The punishment that brought us peace was on him. The devil paid it. Recompense. And by his wounds we are healed. Right? Yeah. Exodus 22, verse 1 through 15. Really at the core of it is about God redeeming his children, and ultimately souls within the fabric of history, this pattern of God redeeming us all who are lost. Stand with me this morning. I'll ask Carrie to come up here just for a second. Listen, I don't, I don't know what, what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where the peace is broken in your life, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the marriage looks like. I don't know fractured or not fractured. Man, everybody can throw on a good smile coming in here. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what your relationship looks like with your parents, your grandparents, your grandchildren, your children, your church family. Your God. But what I do know is that Jesus hasn't shortchanged any of us. He understands that that payment is necessary. He understands the violation. The potential for it is always present within all of us. The good news is that that price of recompense, that, that payment for peace, Michael, man, I've had to call on that many times, brother. It wasn't a one-and-done thing for Trent Evans. There's been many times, Ronnie, that I've had to go back and draw off of the deposit of the payment and say to God, I've, I've, Lord, I've done that again. 
I did it again. I failed again. I come up short again. The payment you made, is it, will it cover that? I know it covered this way, but will it cover my present? And what I've always found is that the payment's always adequate. There's never been a decline. Compromise, the payment source, is always adequate. So what I'll do for you guys, and I'm just going to ask you if you would just for a moment, just to bow your heads. This is between you and God. You and God. You know, you know who this is in between? This ain't between you and me. I can't fix whatever that is. But it's between you and God. And all you have to do is ask the Lord, Lord, can I, can I withdraw? Can I... Can I pull out of that deposit you've given me? Can I do that? Can I? Can you cover that? And, and listen, I don't care what state you're in. God can cover that. He can cover that for each and every one of you. He can, he can cover the brokenness the, where the trust has been. He can cover that. But just like the thief on the cross, man, you've got to ask. You've got to ask. You've got to ask. And so we're going to give you a minute. These altars are open. Hey, you can pray where you're standing. I know that. If you feel in your heart you need to come down here and pray, you can do that. But we're going to give you a moment to work that stuff out between you and God. And listen, if there's fractures somewhere else and God ministers to your heart, I believe what God is going to say to you is make restitution in that, in that relationship if you can. Make things right if you can. If it's within your means, do what you can. Even if it's embarrassing. Even if it takes shots at your pride. Even if it makes you look bad. Because I'd rather look bad and be good than to look good and be bad. So this is your moment right now. Carrie's just going to worship up here. And we're just going to commune with God. The altars are open if you want to respond down here. If you need somebody to pray with you, and come up here and say, hey, Tripp, would you pray with me? I'll pray with you. I won't pray for you, but I'll pray with you. And other people will pray with you. If you want to pray by yourself, just come up here by yourself. This is your moment, okay? This is your moment in Jesus' name.